This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. The following episode of TOEFOP is rated M.A. It may contain Batman references, time travel references, sexual references, lost trains of thought, and mild course language. TOEFOP advises that the program is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15 or anyone who enjoys succinct, coherent conversation that might actually have a point. Minors must be accompanied by a parent, guardian or priest. This is John Deke speaking. This is Tofop. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson, and this may be the best episode of Tofop ever because we've had the most enthusiastic countdown from Podcast Mike that we've had in the history of this podcast. That was incredible. Felt like I was on the set of Hey Hey It's Saturday or something like that. Like there was a floor manager on the floor. We were coming yeah. back from a break to live TV, and he was down the front trying to get everybody's attention. He was like, All right, everyone, in three, two, one, the cameras swoop in, the band starts playing, we start doing the show. Oh, it was it was so professional. I mean, the toughest gig I've ever seen a warm-up guy do is the Logies. Because people at the Logies don't even give the presenters or the acts any attention. So the warm-up guy is on a hiding to nothing. Is it Michael Bishop? Is that the comedian who does it? Michael, well, you, you know, you've gone very close. You've got to religion, but you haven't got what? the right rank in religion. Do you want to have a second go at it? Michael, Michael uh, Rabbi. No, not Michael Rabbi. I'll give you a third guess. Is it so a different religion to the first one I said or a different status in the religion? A different status in the religion, a different position within the church. Right. Michael Alterboy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's it. I think people would pay more attention to Michael Alterboy. Uh, his last name is a person who should pay more attention to what is happening to Alterboy. <laughs> Michael Pope. Michael Pope is the name of the gentleman who does the warm-up. One of Australia's most famous warm-up people, Michael Pope. I once went with our friend Stephen Gates, our mutual friend Stephen Gates, Gatesy from Tripod. He and I once went to see Michael Pope's magic show. He was doing a solo show as part of the Melbourne Magic Festival, and we went and saw his close-up magic show, and I almost ruined it because he has this card trick in the audience where like, everybody has a card, and this is a really important part of the show where... Like, you know, you're meant to like identify this is the card and it's a big reveal. And anyway, it turns out I had the card, but I had got so medicated before this show that I was staring at my card and couldn't work out. It was the card he was trying to say that I had and I nearly fucked the entire show. Oh my God. I'm actually getting anxiety thinking about that because I have been in a similar situation of being uh, medicated. And at a live show where someone's come and asked me a simple question. And it's like, if you'd asked me what my full name was, I probably would have said Charlie Alterboy. Well, I had correctly assumed, and I don't want to dob in Gatesy, but we'd both correctly assumed that most of a close-up magic show and illusion show and sort of mind-reading show would be even better to watch if you were slightly medicated. Yeah, what yeah. we did not take into account was it would be much harder to take part in that show and be an active participant in that show if you were slightly medicated. <laughs> so with a close-up magic show, like because I've seen close-up magic on TV and it's normally like street magicians, is it a smaller audience? Because it, it wouldn't work with like a big crowd, would it? Well, he had a stage and it wasn't all close-up magic. A lot of it was what you would call sort of like, right. you know, almost like mind reading. You know, it's all illusion yeah. of course but it's a lot Mental, of things me mentalism. mentalism that's probably that what, what it is yes he, he probably was doing mostly yeah. mentalism it was actually a very delightful show i had a great time apart from the moment where i nearly ruined it if tism and mental as anything formed an audio slave type super band would that be mentalism mental tism <laughs> Sorry, I'm so sorry. I didn't realise I was coming into this close-up magic show. I thought I was going to see a collaboration between the guys from Mental as Anything and the guys from Tism. It's just Greedy Smith wearing a balaclava. We're Mentalism. So, you know, uh, I was going down a Rage Against the Machine rabbit hole a few weeks ago. 
which led me to an audio slave kind of rabbit hole. And so tell me, audio slave is basically Rage Against the Machine just with Chris Cornell lead singing. Is that, do I have that right? That's pretty much it, I believe. I, I, I could Podcast Mike would I think know. That, that's, that's mostly the gist, I think. I think the idea was that, as we've explored previously, Zach De La Rocha, De, Zach De La Rocha, Zach De La Rocha. Um, I think it's De La Rocha. And, uh, and uh, what, what's the good the other dude from Tom Morello? Machine that everybody, Tom Morello di famously didn't all get along very well. So I think they went through a period where they were like, "Well, why don't we just keep?" That was their, I guess, Adam Lambert out the front of Queen stage of their career. Queen. They just didn't get. They did not get. Um, Chris Cornell into sing Rage Against the Machine songs. Although I would have loved to see Chris Cornell belt out a bit of, did they do some? He does. And that's what I wanted to bring up because I love Chris Cornell. We've talked about when he passed away, we talked about him on, our, on the show for at length. If you grew up in the nineties, like Chris Cornell is one of like the top five kind of, well, probably top three male vocalists of that era. And so I was like, oh yeah, cool, man. Like I want to see what he does, uh, you know, with uh, Killing in the Name of. Turns out not, I didn't like it. I just, I don't think he, because when you think about Rage Against the Machine, it's not really about uh, vocal ability. It's about attitude. It's about sort of what Zach brings to each lyric. It's, it's poetry in a way, like beat poetry or whatever you call it. So having the greatest vocalist with, a, you know, the largest octave range is a bit of a waste. It's like, you know, taking a Ferrari onto a Dodgen track. It's like, well, you know, I mean, it can do the job, but I, I think it's not a proper use of its capabilities. Yeah, you get the impression, maybe not as well, but Mark Jacko Jackson could have done Killing in the Name of. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Killing in the Name of the I'm an Individual. <laughs> it's a mashup. <laughs> Well, they're both songs about being an individual, right? Fuck you, I won't do what you tell me. That's about being an individual. And also Mark Jacko Jackson's song, I'm an individual. In fact, I'm sure the guys from Raise Against the Machine saw Killing in the Name of as an updated homage to I'm an individual. You're right. That is a kind of genre of frontman, isn't it? There's the frontman who just kind of shouts stuff. Like, do you remember in the 80s when um, all those kind of British ska bands came in? To be a lead singer in the 80s, if you were just Cockney and could talk lyrics, you know, just like, you know, like uh, uh, a love, what's a cool, cool for cats, that song. I mean, that guy's not really singing. He's just talking with a cool Cockney accent. So imagine this. Okay. Imagine you don't know the song I'm an Individual. Yeah. By being by Mark Jacko Jackson. Yeah. What you know the song I'm an Individual, it appears on a Rage Against the Machine album and it has these lyrics. Let's see how much of this could actually immediately fit on a Rage Against the Machine album. Okay. Can you do it like Zach LaRocca? Zach LaRocca? Can you do it? Can you spit it like he would give it a bit of anger and a bit of attitude when you say it? If you're lucky, someday <laughs> you might see me on the street. Yes. 100%. My crystal clear complexion is snow white as a sheet. Well, maybe not. I mean, that's political. Yeah, but that's political. That's what he's saying. It's a commentary oh. on race and how people mm. see races. Yeah, that fits in. And why does the sheets about the Ku Klux Klan? Yeah. You know, you'd be reading these and going, oh, you've done it again, Rage Against yeah. the Machine. Some of those who are enforcers are the same that burn crosses. Because some say I'm a genius. To others, I'm a loon. But someday there'll be people like me walking on the moon. Holy shit. Again, so far would not be out of a place <laughs> on a Rage Against the Machine album. If you think you've got the nerve to put me in my place, I think that I should warn you, I'm not just a pretty face. <laughs> it works. I'm an individual, you can't fool me. An in the bloody visual, you can't fool me. All right, pause. A genuine original, <laughs> you can't fool me. The whole I, audience is I doing think it's, it at once. You had me right up until in the bloody visual. Because that is a fairly Australian saying. To hear Zach Walker say that with an American okay. accent would sound weird. You can, I'll, I'll let you substitute one. Okay, one word. It's just an update. I'm an individual, yep. so the whole audience at once, you can't fool me. Yep. That's the fuck you, yep. I won't you do what you tell me moment. An indie fucking visual. You can't fool me. Brilliant. I love it. And he's throwing a bird to the crowd as he does it. A genuine original you can't fool me yeah i keep an open mind because i'm thinking all the time again these are rage against the machine lyrics 
<laughs> That's amazing. I mean, we need someone. Maybe, maybe podcast Mark, you're a musician. Maybe, could you put those lyrics? Could you get, do I'm an individual as a Rage Against a Machine song? Could you, is that a challenge you could bring to the show? I mean, I've seen you on Instagram and stuff, playing your keyboards and stuff. Or anyone who's listening to the show. I've got a basic sense of rhythm and a chronic sense of Holy rhyme. Shit. I make my own tomato juice. I drink it all. I mean, the time. I like the way you Americanized tomato and called it tomato, <laughs> not tomato. I like to dress up lavishly, skin tight pants and sneakers. <laughs> and on my head, I wear the latest hi fi speakers. <laughs> Wish I had a chance to be a reckless millionaire. But I haven't got the money, so I really couldn't care. I'm an individual. You can't fool me. You can't fool me. An individual. visual. You can't fool me. You can't fool me. A genuine original. Can't fool me. You can't fool me. (laughs) I keep an open mind because I'm thinking all the time. I am not an animal. I am not an animal. I'm a human being. I'm in a jet. Now. Let, this is where it gets the, the third verse is probably the weirdest of the verses of I'm an individual. So let's see if Rage Against okay. the Machine can make it all the way to the end. Me mother calls me Marcus and my father's name is Jack. And everyone knows I'm a cut above the pack. Hang on, sorry. Pause. My formal education. Yeah. His father's yeah. name is Jack. Jack Jackson? Is that what we're, we're discovering? Jack Jacko Jackson. <laughs> Which is a good hip hop name. Triple J. My mother calls me Marcus and my father's name is Jack. And everyone knows. Oh, my mother calls me Zachary. Yep. And my father's name is Jack. Yeah. And everyone knows that I'm a cut above the pack. My formal education was in competition bouts. Attending new auditions for the latest movie parts. Mm, okay. No. Uh, don't like that. No. All right. People say the life I lead... Enough to stunt your growth. They ask me if I'm happy and I tell them up your nose. (laughs) Okay. I really reckon he had two strong lyrics. I mean, two strong verses, but this one, it feels like he's really, he's run out of ideas, but keep going. Uh, No, that's it. That's the, he finishes it up your nose. So I think, look, maybe we do this. If if it was a Rage Against the Machine cover, first two verses. (laughs) Uh, okay, so a podcast Mike saying that he's definitely not up to scratch to do what I've just requested. I don't know how hard it is. If there's any listeners out there who can do a Rage Against Machine Jacko song, if you think you can combine them, even do a mashup, that would be amazing. Send it in. We'll play it on the show for as long as we can before we get uh, pulled down by <laughs> the record companies. Who? By, by Zach Della Roche's people or by Mark Jacko Jackson's people? <laughs> can you tell me that song, did he write it or was it written for him? Who is the songwriter? Oh, okay. I mean, that's that's a really good point. Do you think he wrote it? Let's have a guess. Do you? Because it does reference it, it does reference his life. Like it has that, um, you know, like uh, rappers autobiographical in their lyrics. He sort of talks about his father, talks about his football career, talks about going to Hollywood. The only thing he didn't say which makes it actually better for Rage Against the Machine. He didn't talk about like stacks of cash or being a millionaire. He still had that underdog status of like, I've never been to the moon. I'm not a fucking millionaire. I'm an individual. So yeah. Yeah. How, okay. how did that it, come to you? I feel like. A, it has a Wikipedia page. Um, okay. I'm an individual is a novelty song released by former Australian football player, Mark Jacko Jackson in 1985. Described as. Hang on. Just before you go on. <laughs> Should we just remind our American audiences, if you're wondering why the name Mark Jacko Jackson is familiar, is I'd say prior to Paul Hogan or just after Paul Hogan, he would probably be your uh, the most famous Australian to you guys. He was the Energizer dude, the oi. Uh, he was in Highwayman with um, Flash Gordon. And did he do something else in America? I think they were his two big claims to fame. He was the, the, the peroxide burly Australian guy, I'd say oi, at the end of Energizer ads. And he was a former Australian professional footballer in the AFL. Um, what genre of music for a hundred dollars? What genre of it, it's three words? Three words. It's described as in quotation. Right. So it was described as. I'll give you the first one. A. The first word is A, and then okay. there's two more words. Okay. What was the genre of music that Mark Jacko Jackson 
was described as uh, a punk something a punk a a punk anthem no not punk oh. but another another form of music right uh, that is close to close to punk Rage Against the Machine ah oh, a rap yes no <laughs> it was a something rap uh, it was described as a something rap uh, a bogan rap <laughs> a shouty rap sorry say that again a shouty rap. <laughs> this Wikipedia entry is by someone's grandparents. I don't like those shouty rap songs. It reached. How high did I'm an Individual by Mark Jacko Jackson reach on the Australian pop charts? Well, I would say knowing Australia's affection for absolute garbage novelty songs, uh, as we've discussed many times in this show, um, I know every word to Marvellous by The Twelfth Man. Um, I imagine Kylie Mole's song got to number one and Con the Fruiter's song. And uh, so I'm going to say number one. It went to number one on the charts. Number three. Only made it to number three on the Australian charts. Uh, A follow-up single by Jackson. What was the name of the... Sorry, can you... Can you imagine if you were number four on the charts and you're a musician who'd spent your whole life studying music and you'd written this album and this was your your, your best single and you still don't beat that footballer who, who does shouty rap? What was the name of his follow-up single? Um, you're All Individuals. <laughs> um, it might have been something, uh, I'll give you a clue, to do with the acquired uh, injuries he might have got during his AFL career. Okay. Um, Tor Mahami. <laughs> no, it's something that like American footballers might also be able to say after a game of NFL. Okay, so it's not like osteitis pubis. <laughs> his second single wasn't osteitis The dreaded osteitis pubis? No, it wasn't. That was just for all the doctors who listen to our show. Me brain hurts. <laughs> right, okay, sure. Was it actually <laughs> me brain hurts or my brain hurts? No, me brain hurts. I mean, if that song came out today, knowing what they know about concussion and how seriously they take it, do you think he would get cancelled? If you released a single today called Me Brain Hurts, which is all about you playing football, do you get cancelled for that, for insensitivity? Well, look, I never thought that we would read out too much Jacko Jackson song lyrics, but let's see if Me Brain Hurts would also work as a... Rage Against the Machine song. So let's say Rage Against the Machine want to make a political statement about, you know, black players in the NFL and the yep. acquired head injuries that they get. Oh, no one's put the lyrics on the internet. Oh, no. Oh, there has to be someone. On. Are you serious? I can't believe Jack the, the lyrics. lyrics. Let's see if this one's got it. Hang on. Podcast Mark, can Mark you Jack also have Jackson. a look? Me head hurts. Yeah. <laughs> it's There's a... Me brain hurts. Oh, me brain hurts. Um, but <laughs> I really want. But his brain hurts. I really need to know what the lyrics are. Oh, I can't. No, nah, there's no. The, I can't seem to find anywhere immediately. There's written out the lyrics to me brain hurts. Is there a link to the actual video? Is there a link um, to the actual video? Could we play a bit of it if we don't record it or something? Yeah, let's do it. Yes, there's a link to the video. That's I can. I can do that. So, um, here we go. Okay. I'm gonna play it now. Okay, you're at zero. You got it's not an ad. You're ready to go with the clip. No, I don't. I don't. Don't think it's got an ad. Okay. <laughs> don't think anyone's <laughs> making it. It's only had right. 185 like thumbs up ever. So many views. Okay. Oh, 21,000 views. That's not too bad. Okay, on the count of three, one, two, yep. three, go. Okay. <laughs> All right. So Jacko's getting a massage. So he's on the rub down table, and there's yep. like a a hot 80s woman giving him like quite a tough massage. I woke up this morning. Scratching and yawning, wondering how I'd make it through the day. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> this is so disturbing. It is sad, but this could be a Rage Against a Machine song. Like he's basically talking about how bad he feels because all the hits he's taken to his head. There's something good about it. I quite like it. What I, okay, so we should stop it. Let's okay. just. Uh, to stop right, get back to the pod run it in and we'll start talking we'll get yeah. back to the podcast but right. and we're back we've had a little break <laughs> we've both watched well the first half of mark jacko jackson's me brain hurts yeah and i think we've both had the same thought charlie which is these aren't novelty songs mm. this is a 
avant-garde outsider artist before his time. If I was watching Rage at three o'clock in the morning and somebody programmed me brain hurts by Mark Jacko Jackson, like firstly, it's a song about all the trauma he's received during his football career. Secondly, the the video clip itself is quite surreal. There's and, well, and well made in the middle of a wrestling ring. And then, like, there's this, like, when his brain hurts, when he's singing the the chorus, there's like this camera effect where they elongate his head. It's like, it's, there's something quite compelling about it. Two things. If you're watching a David Lynch movie and Kyle McLaughlin walks into some, like, darkly lit room and there's just a video being projected on the wall and that was it. You'd be like, oh, yeah, this is very typical of David Lynch. It's hypnotic and it's surreal and it's weird and it's a bit funny. The second thing I'd say is if some huge artist came to Australia, like Tom York came out, if Tom York was to say, you know, actually an artist I really love is Mark Jacko Jackson. I know, I know he only released two singles, but they're amazing. Like they were a huge influence on my songwriting, you know, the way he spoke the truth, but he disguised it under humour. Like I could totally see a legit artist saying, yeah, no, they're great songs. They're- oh, yeah. When I was growing up as a young Thomas York, I was sitting around thinking, you know what? I feel like I'm different to other people and sometimes it makes my brain hurt. And he had two songs that summed up my entire experience. But it was good. It was actually, it was, it was better. My memory of Mark Jacko Jackson was he's the football my dad hated because he was always like, this guy doing cartwheels and handstands and like, you know, yelling at the umpires and he didn't seem to really want to play football. And then I remember, because I was such a big Mad Max fan, that TV show Highwayman and... In the 80s, to see an Australian on TV with an Australian accent was just like the greatest thing in the world. I was, I thought he was like, I was convinced he was going to be like Arnold Schwarzenegger or, you know, Sylvester Stallone or something like that. He was on his path. And then obviously, you know, he's turned into what he is and it's like he never had any talent. But I'm looking back at that and I'm thinking maybe that instinct I had as a kid was correct. This guy was destined for bigger things. They weren't ready for him. They weren't ready for the outsider art that he was actually making he has one of those qualities of those an adult swim <laughs> totally yeah, comedian like you could just imagine him like you, if he'd been in hollywood these days you can imagine like there's a bunch of like if a particular movie maker if an adam sandler or like someone even a bit more you know will ferrell or any of those sort of guys experimental danny mcbride him, or someone danny mcbride would be perfect i think danny mcbride would like the characters he portray are kind of Mark Jacko Jackson types. Maybe we should get D- Danny McBride yeah. down to Australia, not to make Crocodile Dundee, but to make the Mark Jacko Jackson story. Oh, I think you've just got it there. What about we get Mark Jacko Jackson in the Crocodile Dundee remake? Maybe we've been thinking about this all wrong. We've been thinking like young, sexy Chris Hemsworth, but maybe we go fucking... Like if you did... So Wolf Creek is kind of like, what if Crocodile Dundee was a psychopath? But what if you did, what if Crocodile Dundee was actually like men of his age actually are? Like if you cast a full-on rough, rough as guts bogan and still had that same story where a journalist comes out from the New York, well, maybe in a couple of years a journalist comes out from the New York Times to do this story on this fucking outback adventurer. But he was like Jack o Jackson. That could be interesting. What if, because wasn't there allegations like all rumours at the start of the first Crocodile Dundee that you know, that Mick's kind of a bit of a charlatan and that he maybe even ripped his yeah. act off a real-life sort of guy who was a bit like that. I don't know if that's in yeah, the yeah. movie or not or whether that's just something I've made up in my head. But what if Mark Jacko... No, no, you've, 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 you've merged two ideas. The, 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 it, Crocodile Dundee was inspired by an actual person and, you know, there was talk that he'd ripped this, this guy's story off. But the only similarity is this guy had been stranded out with Crocs for a number of days. The thing in the in the story in the film is that he had his leg bitten off, but when she turns up, it's actually just a little love bite. Well, what if we reinterpret the film so that he has ripped somebody off and that person is the real Crocodile Dundee, Mark Jacko Jackson? Yeah, amazing. There's so many layers to it. Yeah. <laughs> I watched um, I watched the first five minutes of the uh, very excellent Mr. Dundee uh, on Saturday night. And that was just first enough excellence minutes. for you? The first five minutes, you were just like, this is so excellent that I need to watch it in five-minute installments. It was one of the, those uh, things where you watch it and I had to stop it and get Gemma to come into the room so I could show her what I'd just seen to see if she could make head nor tail of it because it was – it's just – it's just – it's odd. It's like what 
you, you don't know what tone they're going for. Like, are you going for some kind of meta tone of, you know, like your Paul Hogan, but, you know, Crocodile Dundee, or is it, because the way it's set up is that, you know, Paul Hogan lives in LA and, you know, he's this old retired sort of like homebody now, but people still love Crocodile Dundee and, you know, they are always asking him to do Crocodile Dundee type stuff. Like the opening scene is some people ask him to, uh, you know, get this snake off. <laughs> they, these people stop and ask him to move a snake off a path, a very wide path, which everyone could easily walk around the snake. <laughs> like it is the most ridiculous setup for a, a movie ever. Based on a real story from his life, Charlie. Yeah. That's, that actually happened to him. That, no, this is true. I heard is that really? with him during the week and he said that that is from a real life story. <laughs> oh my God. Because watching that, we were just like, what is going on? This is just the most non-compelling. Like, if if this story happened to him in real life as they filmed it, it's a non-event. It's not even it's not even worth retelling. Like, if this happened to me and I came home and Gemma said, did anything happen on your walk? I'd say no. Absolutely nothing of any interest happened on this walk because it's so dumb. <laughs> but then the opening credits is this kind of exposition dump where they recap his entire career. So they have this, like, montage of all these entertainment reporters being like, you know, uh, the, the bridge rigger from Sydney who became, you know, had the number one show after winning a contest on New Faces and then became, you know, the head of Australian tourism and then released Crocodile Dundee. And then, like, you think that would be enough, but then they go, and then he released Crocodile Dundee too, which also was a success, not as big a success. And then they go through his entire fucking career and it's like, who needs this five-minute recap? Like, you've just shown a scene in which everyone goes, hey, you're Crocodile Dundee. Yeah, we get it. He's Crocodile Dundee. We don't then need like a five-minute reminder of Paul Hogan's entire career. But then the best bit is so the next scene is his agent is picking him up from, uh, you know, well, I don't know, he's in jail for some reason, picking up from the police station. And they're driving down Hollywood Boulevard past all the celebrity impersonators. And there's a guy there just like Crocodile Dundee. And he's like, oh, that guy's always there. Yeah, and it's like he is not. I have I've been lived in LA to, for ten years. I never, never saw someone dressed as Crocodile Dundee. That's the thing because they want their cake and eat it too in this film. Because on one hand, the joke is that he's washed washed up or everyone's forgotten about him. But at the same time, like they also want everyone to this uni- in this universe. Everyone uh, Crocodile Dundee is still on the tip of everyone's tongue. But the funny thing is, they didn't need to. Or maybe you need to for the sake of a, a movie, but. Having lived in America, Crocodile Dundee is still the top of everybody's tongue when it comes to Australia. Paul Hogan is still the most relevant Australian that people go to in a lot of ways. Still, like all those cliches of the throw of the shrimp on the barbie and that's not a knife are still things that are part of the American vernacular. So you don't need to oversell it. It's real. I bet that now having said that, I imagine that a lot of this must be based on, I don't know if Paul Hogan wrote it, but it must be based on his experiences of... He didn't. He did write it? No, he didn't. Right. There's this director he's been working with on the last couple of movies who's an Australian guy who, who wrote it. Yeah. Do you reckon that guy is making multiple films with Paul so he can eventually get him to sign the rights to Crocodile D? Those, those rights that everyone has been fucking desperate to get their hands on. Do you think this guy's like, yeah, sure, I'll make you strange bedfellows and uh, your Charlie and your boots and your yeah, very excellent Mr. No, sure. Just uh, sign this contract. Yeah, absolutely. He's back-ended the contract. Yeah. He's giving the good thing on his deathbed. He's got the papers ready to go. When he dies, when his heart monitor turns off, a safe on the wall opens. <laughs> I mean, if he can go... If he can go all the way without ever giving up the rights, that would, I actually admire that. I saw an interview with him, I think we talked about this, where he spoke about um, he didn't really want to do Crocodile Dundee 3, but he got talked into it and it was garbage and he hated it and he wished he'd never done it because he felt like one was lightning in a bottle, two, they were cashing in, but everything after that, you know, he was very cynical about. So it would be amazing if he could actually take the, I mean, can you die with the rights to a character? Or do they the, the become public domain? Yeah, what happens? absolutely you can. So you can die and say and stipulate no one is allowed to do anything with this. Okay, I've been recently working on a contract for something and it's stipulated in the contract that my work can't be re-edited in perpetuity. So that means basically like even once I'm dead, they can't re-edit it. So I imagine, yeah, I imagine that he could take Mick Dundee to the grave. So we've got to get in quickly. Because I think there's a ticking like clock on us being able to make Crocodile Dundee. And I realise we've been exploring the wrong angle. He doesn't want to make a new mm. Crocodile Dundee movie because he's burnt by Crocodile Dundee 3. We've got to terminate this shit. 
We've got to aliens this shit. We've got to come in and, and pretend that the third movie does not exist and give him an opportunity to redeem himself with a proper third chapter of the trilogy. Yeah. You've got to um, uh, creed it. That's what it's got to be. I mean, that's what I think we were pro- kind of proposing with Chris Hemsworth is we creed it. Yeah, but I'm saying you do Crocodile Dundee 3 again. You just make it good this time. Do you, so the same plot and premise, like Crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles. No, okay. you get to you. You pretend three never happened. Right. It's the oh. Terminator approach. You just the, okay. The movies that are problematic, you just ignore them from the, it's the timeline it's the, of the, story. the Halloween approach. We're making a sequel to the original film, right? And nothing else. So every, all seven films that came after that didn't yeah. exist. So we're making a sequel to Crocodile Dundee two, or you know. A, a, like we're we're completing the Crocodile Dundee trilogy. I can't fucking believe how often we talk about Crocodile Dundee on the show, but we're going to do it again because you got me interested now. So, are you suggesting that in this sequel, it's the further adventures of that Crocodile Dundee, or are you talking about a Fury Road style reboot with nods to the original? Interesting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> interesting. It's a good question. Uh, both have appeal. Both have appeal to me, but maybe Jamie Lee Curtis style, Halloween style. Yeah. It's a pretty new movie, but Paul Hogan is still in it. Yes. I think that's that's the way to do it. He, I mean, because in the five minutes I saw of him, he's an old man now. And, you know, that's not a criticism yeah. or taking anything away from him. It's just the reality. He's, he's an old man. And so, you know... If you're going to make that film, I don't think anyone wants to see... It's like no one wants to see Indiana Jones as an old man. No one wants to see Crocodile Dundee needing to sit down all the time, which from the trailer I think is most of the film. <laughs> I seem to see him sitting down a lot. Crocodile can't pee. He's <laughs> just got. I can't pee. I'm, I'm really old. Don't need a bit, eh? Haven't had a shit in weeks. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's what this director's banking on is the fact that, well, look, Paul, I've done your four other films and... I, you know you can trust me. We have the same sense of humor. We have the same sensibilities. I will do you proud. Like that, if he can get the rights to that script, I mean, that's a gold mine. Is there a chance that he's just recording enough footage of Paul Hogan that he can either just put together a little tape of Paul Hogan edited together, giving him permission to Crocodile Dundee, or mm. AI deep fake an entirely new, because you could get a younger body and then just put Paul Hogan's sort of charming face and wit and comic timing on top of this younger body and then just make the movie so you... Deep eat, fake it. You, you genuinely do get your cake and eat it because you get Paul Hogan in Crocodile Dundee, but like as a young man. Well, yeah, I'm just wondering if you could take the solo approach, you know, where they cast a dude to basically be a young Harrison Ford. Like you've got to... Because I think the thing about Crocodile Dundee is it's a vehicle... Like it is a tailor-made project for a guy with a very specific personality, delivery, like you're saying, charm and wit. Like it's it's written for him. So how do you, if you were going to recast it as in like you're doing a younger version, solo style, the, you know, the pre-Sue the pre comes to Australia, the adventures of Crocodile Dundee, the story of how he got bitten on the leg, he got that love bite. I mean, can you find someone who has that Hoag's quality, because it's pretty specific. Well, can we Irishman it? Can we have Paul Hogan oh. in a nursing home, Mick Dundee Mate, he can barely, he can barely, he can barely walk. <laughs> like that scene where his lawyer picks him up. I'm watching him shuffling down these stairs, and I'm like, oh, God. Like, someone just get him a chair. Like, you should, don't make him walk downstairs. He's done enough. <laughs> I mean, okay, yeah, no, you're right. Maybe you can body double it, though. You get a younger body double... You use yeah. technology for yeah, Hogan's could. face. I still think you could make this work. Yeah. All right. Okay. I'm down with that. Um, well, can we get to some mail? Because we've got a backlog. Oh, okay. Just quickly before that, I want to tell you a, a quick little story. Because oh, yeah, today sure. uh, we're doing this podcast, but on the background in Skype, you have the uh, backdrop from our other podcast, our footy podcast. If you like AFL or you just like us talking and to be honest, we rarely talk about the game of AFL. We just talk about weird characters from the sport and, you know, nonsense fan fiction adventures and complete and utter rubbish. So if you like this podcast, you'll probably like that. You can ignore the fact that it's about football. But you have the backdrop from that uh, behind yep. you. And as a bit of a running joke, a bit of an off-air running joke we've had between the uh, Topop team, yourself, myself and uh, podcast Mike, 
Uh, normally when we're arranging times on our little WhatsApp group, you know, it'll be like, can we do 7.45 on Monday night, which is what we did tonight. And, you know, there'll be a thumbs up or a yes, that's fine. And I send the emoji with sunglasses on. Mm. And I've been sending that emoji with sunglasses on for a good six months. And then the other day, Charlie, you were like, <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> now, did you really not know what it meant? No. I mean, I assumed it was good. Like, I didn't know, but I didn't know what it meant. Like, because it kind of looks like a drug dealer. He's got these like dark glasses on. He's got this like smug expression. It's, I didn't know what it meant. I mean, when you told me it means it's cool, it made total sense. But I just was always like, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just, it's, I, I, it, to me, it felt very ambivalent. <laughs> You've never typed cool into your phone and just had that emoji come up? No. Well, interesting. Okay. Anyway, so it means yeah. cool. And then we discovered that not only did it look like a drug dealer, it looked like a specific picture of former Australian <laughs> Prime Minister Tony Abbott with drug dealer sunglasses on. And so that has now become my response. And I've written on Tony Abbott's head the word cool. And now I send that instead of the original emoji. And it's just amusing. It's just amusing to send that picture of Tony Abbott. So then the other week, I decided I would take this a step further. And as my background on my Skype call, I put in the background this picture of Tony Abbott. And it's been on there for a week. Today, I recorded an episode of Philosophy with former Australian Prime Minister and fair to say, not necessarily best pals, Julia Gillard. No way. <laughs> so. Oh, my God. Did she completely forget? So, no, I did not forget. Podcast Mike and I went on the call together first to just sort out what the logistics of it all were going to be. And it came up as my backdrop. And I made a special point of changing my backdrop just over to my normal office backdrop. And I joked about how, you know, I was like, imagine if that had been in the, ba in the oh, background when we called Julia Gillard, right? It would be amazing. So... I then had to hang up on Podcast Mike so we could start a new call with Julia and Podcast Mike at the same time. And through something that I don't understand, when I then made that call, it reverted. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. It reverted to the Tony Abbott backdrop. And... Like, I mean, I don't... So, Podcast Mike's also on the call at the same time. And oh. all he would have seen me do is just launch myself towards the computer <laughs> to try to, like, push buttons to make it go away. And I still don't know if she saw it. I think probably in the blur of us starting something, she wouldn't recognise what it was. I got it down quick enough, but... I definitely started a call with the former prime minister with the picture of her mortal enemy on the backdrop. That is fucking hilarious. That's unbelievable. I mean, do you think, how do you think she would have taken it? Like you're a comedian. So, I mean, I know that's not your, you're not like a prankster kind of comedian, but you know, do you think she would have taken it well? I mean, I would have had to waste 40 minutes of the podcast explaining to her why it was there in the first place and apologising. So it wouldn't have been great for the listeners, but yeah. I think we eventually would have got there. My idiot friend doesn't know what an emoji is, and so I, we had this joke going around, and then I saved this photo of Tony Abbott, and then I wrote on top of it, cool, and it's, it's really funny. You should, you should follow the, uh, the uh, WhatsApp group. I'll add you. Here we go. Look. Now Julia Gillard's part of the Tofop WhatsApp. Because... <laughs> You're too embarrassed to tell her. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's awesome. And po uh, podcast, Mike, I imagine you weren't running video on that, unfortunately. That would have been amazing. I mean, that would be a Patreon level. We could put that right at the top of the tree on Patreon. If you want to see Will desperately trying to close a photo of Tony Abbott as Julia Gillard comes online, I mean, we could put that behind like a $100 level, I reckon. I mean, honestly... I reacted like somebody who was caught watching Paul. <laughs> like just the, the launching at the computer. Like I almost slammed it shut. I almost hung up on her just because I was like, oh my God. Oh my God, that is brilliant. Um, all right, let's get to some mail. We've had quite a bit of a, a backlog 
Um, and we should also do a, uh, this is an off-air conversation, but let's uh, maybe on uh, when we next record, let's do a, a, a Patreon messages one because we have over 100 messages from people desperate to get a, uh, a Tofop fridge magnet. Uh, we keep them laughing so they keep you living fridge magnet. I've sent out the first bunch. I'll make a little video. I know I keep saying that, but I've got a baby. Things are hard at the moment, but I'm going to make a little video to show you exactly what you can win because um, if you want to support the show, Will, Pate, they are... They are very cool, yeah, but also they are very cool, I want to say. There's one uh, just on my filing cabinet, six on my desk here, and there's one on our fridge, and they're really much better than this podcast. <laughs> uh, if you want to support the show, uh, Patreon's the best way to do that, patreon.com forward slash TOEFOP. It's a whole bunch of bonus content up there, um, and if you want to send us a message, that makes you uh, puts you in the, in the running to win one of these fridge magnets. Uh, but this is our ordinary mail. This is from our... Our regular listeners at our Gmail account, which is email tofop at gmail.com. And uh, this is from Claire. Subject is Hey Tofop, former Lord Mayor of Geelong, Darren Lyons. Hey, Will and Charlie, your mention of the infamous former Lord Mayor on this week's podcast, <laughs> I think that was about three weeks ago, and Charlie's meeting of him brought back a memory I thought I'd share. Cast yourself back to 2014 at the height of Lyons' mayoral powers in Geelong. 19 year old me was in the passenger seat with mum driving stuck at a red light in central Geelong when Cathud, a huge black beast of a car, I know nothing about cars so I can't give you any more details than that, rear-ended us at the lights. Mum was in shock. All I saw was the side, in the side mirror was a bright rainbow mullet getting out of the car. Rear-ended by the mayor on the main street of Geelong. It wasn't the usual exchange of insurance details either. He handed over his PA's business card while random people in the street walked up to share puns and banter. Doesn't look too good. The mayor is having a bingle. Insert your own much quippier line here. Uh, all right, well, what, what would you see if you, if you see the mayor of Geelong having smashed into the back of someone on the street? What, what's give me give me a, a quip? Oh, you've had a real mayor. <laughs> nice. Um, <laughs> yep. Um, the lion might be mayor of Geelong. What's his name? Darren. Darren Lyons. The lion sleeps tonight. You've been like, <laughs> yeah. Did you? Yeah. Did you? Lion sleeps badly tonight. The lion sleeps in prison tonight. <laughs> What's the matter? Did you see that they were Christian? The Lions and the Christians? Um, okay. His number plate was easy to remember. It was just Mayor. Possibly with misspellings or a zero for the O. Didn't need insurance details either. The repair bill was sent to his PA and paid with no follow-up questions asked. Well, that's good. Darren Lyons wasn't a corrupt politician. Mm. Paid it when it was due. Yeah, I mean, yes. <laughs> There's other things. No questions asked, I believe, is the policy of Darren Lyon. <laughs> no questions asked. I'm sure there are many people out there with their own mayoral encounters to recount. It was certainly a peculiar, peculiar time in Geelong's recent history. Have a great week and happy podcasting. Claire, please don't mention my last name. Geelong is still surprisingly small when it comes to recognising names and gossip. Okay, your secret is safe with us, Claire. Um, Camilla writes in, uh, the subject is nipples. Two colon fop. Love the shit out of all your podcasts. I just want to weigh in on the nipple body parts discussion. As a mum and a feminist who aims for sex and body positivity, I am all for anatomical accuracy with kids' toys. When my daughter was little, I sought out anatomically realistic dolls for her, both male and female. Most toy, uh, most toy versions of children... So I get mostly toy versions of children. So I guess the sex organs are small and underdeveloped, but I reckon it's important that the nipples, et cetera, are there because it normalizes their bodies and doesn't create a taboo. Also, you should know that Barbies historically haven't had any nipples and along with an impossible waist and generally unrealistic proportions, it's another way of teaching kids alienation from their real bodies and expectations of their own bodies and bodies of the opposite gender uh, that are destructive. What you should say to children is... Um hey, I don't have unrealistic body standards or your nipples will fall off and your vagina will grow back. <laughs> seal up. Seal That's what up. happens. <laughs> I, uh, I love every few years or so on like a current affair or something, there'll always be some story about like the woman who wants to be the human Barbie or here's a Ken doll after 700 surgeries. I'm like, those guys are great. I love those dudes. I mean, it's one of those things where you're like, I assume it's just somebody with serious body dysmorphia, right? Like, so you kind of, there's a, a level of sympathy. Mm, but then uh, there's yeah. a, another level of most, mostly when you see them, they're people who've done it for the attention that they wanted to look like that person. So you do think, oh, well, I guess this is what they were in for it anyway. Like, you know, ordinarily you might be like, God. But do you think, 
do you think the surgeon like i assume you're going to the same surgeon each time like at some point like if you've got a guy coming in and you've given him a darren Lyons six pack and you've given him like pec implants calf implants butt implants redone his chin like at some point do you just sort of have to say hey buddy like enough's enough like does the door does he just like well you keep paying me i'll keep slaying you if, <laughs> i don't know it's, it's not as good what as if, laughing um, living. somebody came in because there's a guy in la who i think looked like spock I believe got he, got his kind of like you know right. even his ears shaped and those sort of things. What if someone comes in and says, "Hey, I really like Crocodile Dundee. I want <laughs> I want you to make me look exactly like Mick Dundee from Crocodile Dundee." Would you do that? Well, I think the guy who went in and said, "Make me look like that," was oh, yeah, Paul Hogan. Right. <laughs> because if you look, yeah, at he his said, face. "He said make me don't make me not look like that." He said, "I want to actually look like the guy from the movie." <laughs> Could you put my testicles on my face, please? <laughs> Camilla continues, I could hear that neither of you are very familiar with Barbies, etc. Charlie, I recommend seeking out realistic representations of bodies in kids' toys for your lovely daughter. I think it will be helpful for her ability to cope with the minefield that is body image, especially for girls. Lots of love, you legends, Camilla. <clears throat> She's not really, yeah, I mean, in the future, she, the, her favorite toy at the moment is this creepy-ass teddy bear. It's like an educational teddy bear, like... It's got like different colored paws and its nose and if you pr- it's got buttons all over it and it sings songs and it teaches meant to teach him how to count and all that kind of stuff but this fucking thing i think when the batteries get low on these toys it's just like the, the 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 audio switch short circuits and it just starts talking on its own and the amount of fucking times especially when i've been medicated <laughs> i'll be like walking from the you know kitchen to the bedroom and i'll hear like let's play <laughs> and i will shit myself it is so goddamn scary like there's for some reason like when it's daylight and you know we're sitting on the floor it's like yeah it's it's cool to hear like a, a twinkle twinkle little star. late at night when you're walking from the kitchen to the bedroom, when you hear twinkle, twinkle, little stat, sounds very, very ominous. Oh, man, that would terrify me. I would just throw that toy away. <laughs> I'd be like, I'm sorry. I'll teach you how to count in another way. <laughs> uh, Josh writes in, hey, look, I'm a couple of weeks behind. So knowing how the mailbag works, I'm probably right on time. <laughs> Reminiscing about 90s soundtracks, I was tearing my headphones off knowing you'd missed the soundtrack that played at every party I went to in the 90s. And he's right. Reality Bites. Bingo, bango, that's a bingo. (laughs) It was a quintessential moody 90s movie. Was not. Uh, And the accompanying soundtrack soundtrack fit perfectly. I've attached the track list to your information. Um, I, uh, when I was studying media arts at uni, that was a degree that took me a long way. I did a paper all about the representation of Generation X in the media. And uh, I spoke about Reality Bites, how it was a commercialized version, this idea, this uh, uh, studio cynical attempt to appeal to a, to a demographic that didn't want to buy its junk. Even though that was the actual theme of the movie as well. That was yeah. the thing, it was meta. <laughs> but I so wanted to be Ethan Hawke. Like, I know I was you about- did. I fucking hate Ethan Hawke in that movie. Oh, no, it's definitely one of those characters that you look back on and go, ah. Oh. Yeah, a bit like Ferris Bueller, where you're like, oh, you're a bit of a pain, Ferris. Yeah. Like, I can see why people were mad at you. Yeah. I'm kind of on your sister's side now, I've got to be honest. You are a bit of a dick. And it's the same with Ethan Hawke's character in Reality Bites. You're like, oh, he was my number one role model in life. I was like, yep, yeah, this is perfect. This is the guy you want to be. Some whiny, self-indulgent, emotionally immature fucking shit. <laughs> Uh, can you remember the track listing? Name as many songs as you can remember. Nah, give give me some clues. Um, My Sharona. Yes. Um, uh, I don't. Uh, Julia Hatfield. It's not a clue. It's actually uh, the artist. Um, uh, Miss You. Was it Miss You by Julia? No. Hatfield? Is that a song? No. Of what was it called? Uh, Spin the bottle. How does that one go? Oh, okay. Yeah, I remember that song. Um, do you remember a song by the Indians? I wonder if they changed their name. They're cancelled. <laughs> <laughs> Unless they were like from India. <laughs> they possibly were. Uh, bed, no, of, what was the bed of Roses. Okay. I don't recognise that. Um, uh, World Parties, When You're Gonna Come Back to Me, The Posies, Going, Going, Gone. That was a big song. Yep. Uh, yep. The, the song you were thinking of was Lisa Loeb, Stay, I Miss You. 
Uh, yep. Every angsty yep. fucking indie pixie dream girl of the 90s loved that song. They'd write breakup poetry to that song. Uh, All I Want Is You, You Too, Locked Out, Crowded House, Spinning yeah, Around from the when his, dad's, when his dad's dying and he sits on the hospital floor. And That's right. All I Want Is You plays and I'm like... You two are doing all the heavy lifting in this scene. You know when you watch a movie yeah. and you suddenly like, I don't think the emotions I'm feeling are about this movie at all. They're about that you two wrote a really good song. Yeah. This is a really good U2 film clip that you've just put together. They made an entire movie based off that theory with Bohemian Rhapsody. It's a terrible film that is held up by excellent music. Um, spinning around over you, Lenny Kravitz. Um, Ethan Hawke has a song. Can you remember this one? I, I remember the lyrics of this. I got a meth head, mother got a cokehead, dad. I'm a something under the American man. Ah, baby, I'm nothing. Remember? No, I don't. Oh, he oh, sings. It's awful. Terrible. It's the uh, it's in because he also does it. Doesn't he do a cover of um, who are the Blister in the Sun guys? Um, yeah, the Violent Femmes. Yeah, because he does. Why can't I get just one fuck? Why can't I get? What's that song called? I did a gig. I had a phone call with one of the Violent Femmes in January. It feels like a million really? years ago. But uh, yeah, he runs, um, well, he does a lot of stuff at the at Mona, uh, the kind of art museum, modern art museum down in Tasmania. Really? And they have a summer festival and he is the curator of the summer festival. And I was doing a piece of art at the summer festival. I was the voice of their compost heap. At their, I was tweeting as the voice of their compost heap and I had a conversation with one of the violent femmes about me tweeting as a compost heap at his festival. When I was sitting on a bus at high school singing Blister in the Sun, I never imagined that at some stage I'd be having a conversation <laughs> about one of them about becoming sentient garbage. That is a Mark Jacko Jackson level of surrealism right there. <laughs> That's how my year started, pretending to be garbage. Who would have thought it would get heaps worse? <laughs> Uh, rounding out the album is uh, Dinosaur Junior Turnip Farm, Me Fi Me Revivals, The Squeeze Tempted, and of course Big Mountain. Ooh, baby, I love you way every day, yeah. And Tempted was a big song as well. Yeah, this had like four or five hit singles off it. It was a huge album. I don't know. I don't know. I'd put it in my top three though. I think it's edged out by Train Spotting the Crow and Pulp Fiction. It's got some shit songs on it, the reality bites. It really it's very, does. It's got a couple of very skippable songs. Yeah. Yeah. So, Josh, reality bites you on the ass. <laughs> We're throwing your song out, your album out. Doesn't count. You've yeah. been Darren Lyons. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, that's it for this week. Thanks for tuning in. Um, we've plugged the Patreon. Uh, we've got other podcasts. Will, who's uh, on Philosophy this week? Uh, Julia Gillard, Prime Minister, former 27th Prime Minister of Australia, the first female and only female uh, Prime Minister of Australia, a uh, pioneer and also responsible for one of the funniest moments in podcast Mike's life. He was <laughs> typed uh, as he watched me leap towards my computer to try to turn off the backdrop of Tony Abbott. And as Will mentioned earlier, we have an AFL podcast, Two Guys, One Cup. Uh, that'll be coming out on Thursday. Uh, that's it. So I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. I mean, if you want. It's up to you.